Welcome to the iFormRx podcast, where we explore the evidence that matters to ambulatory care pharmacy practice. My name is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormRx. As the medical use of marijuana is now legal in a majority of states, and as more states have also legalized marijuana use for recreational purposes, it's safe to say that more and more of your patients are using cannabis products. Cannabis is commonly used to reduce pain, relieve anxiety, and improve sleep. While the evidence for its use for some indications, like glaucoma, is tenuous at best, there is reasonably persuasive evidence that cannabis can reduce muscle spasms and spasticity, particularly in patients with multiple sclerosis. One of the concerns about regular marijuana use is the impact that chronic use can have on cognition. Specifically, regular cannabis use can lead to slower information processing, poorer working memory, and delayed brain activation in response to stimuli. These effects are particularly concerning in the developing brain because teenagers and young adults seem to be most prone to these effects, and these effects can be persistent for months perhaps even years, after discontinuing use. A recent study published in the journal Brain caught my eye because it's one of the few studies to examine the impact of discontinuing cannabis use. While the study was conducted specifically in patients with multiple sclerosis who are using cannabis for muscle spasticity, I think it provides some important insights about the cognitive deficits that chronic cannabis use can induce. And joining me today to talk about this study are Dr. Lindsay Trotter, Dr. Sean Smithgall, and Dr. Nicole Slater. Dr. Trotter is an Ambulatory Care Academia Pharmacy Practice Fellow, and Dr. Smithgall and Slater are members of the Auburn University School of Pharmacy faculty based in Mobile, Alabama. Together, they practice at the University of South Alabama Department of Family Medicine, Family Medicine Clinic, and they wrote a commentary for iFormerX entitled, Is the Grass Actually Greener? Cognitive Function After Stopping Cannabis in Patients with Multiple Sclerosis. Well, Lindsay, Sean, Nicole, it's great to have you here today on the iFormerX podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to talk about this hot topic. Yeah, thank you, Stuart. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Before we talk about the article that you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, I'd like to get us started with a patient case, the case of LP. I want you to imagine that one of the family medicine residents has referred a 32-year-old female to you for patient education. The patient has multiple sclerosis, which is managed by a neurologist, but receives routine preventative care through the family medicine clinic. The family medicine resident was deeply concerned about the patient's use of marijuana, particularly given that it's not legal for either medical or recreational purposes in your state. The medical resident was reluctant to put her concerns in writing in her note or even to record the patient's marijuana use in the electronic health record. However, she catches you in the hallway and explains why she's referring the patient to you. Basically, the resident wants you to convince the patient that marijuana use is a bad idea. According to the medical record, the patient has the relapsing remitting form of multiple sclerosis and has been using glatopa for the past two years. The patient has also been prescribed baclofen 20 milligrams four times a day for muscle spasticity. 
During your interview with the patient, she states that she also has chronic pain due to muscle spasms and that smoking weed takes the edge off of it and helps her sleep. Indeed, she states that daily cannabis use is about the only thing that makes her feel halfway decent. Currently, she's able to ambulate without assistance, but uses a cane to steady herself. So let's talk about some of the things going through your mind in a case like this. What additional information might you want to collect and assess during this encounter? And what treatment options, including non-pharmacological options, would you be considering at this point? Well, my first thought is that this is going to be a very complex case for several reasons, but especially because of the implication of MS and the issues surrounding cannabis use. In a disease state like MS, where quality of life is so greatly affected, it's important to consider the subjective needs of the patient and what the patient has found to be helpful. So in terms of the resident's recommendation to convince the patient that marijuana use is bad, may not exactly be likely based on the patient's experiences. However, I will say that the inhalation of anything smoked or burnt is harmful, is not advisable, and is concerning. My next thought would be to emphasize to the resident the importance of documenting all drug use in the EHR because this is a vital aspect of gathering data in the patient's social history. And it's important in case any side effects or any problems were to arise because marijuana does have drug interactions. Um, it could possibly inhibit warfarin and it's known to induce drugs like theophylline or chlorpromazine and possibly even methadone when it's smoked. And it's not without side effects. So there's tachycardia, hypertension, drowsiness, and even psychosis. Again, making it very important to document this in the patient's history. And then, of course, to further assess if the patient is taking any other illicit drugs and record that as well. Something else that's important to consider is the legal issue. As pharmacists, I think it's our job to educate on drugs, whether that be prescription, over-the-counter, or recreational. And that could include legal issues pertaining to drugs as well. So I do see a role here and opportunity to educate. The additional information I'd like to gather, I'd mostly focus on her MS and marijuana history. So her history about MS would be her frequency and severity of relapsing symptoms and how it interferes with her daily life. And then for her marijuana use, I'd want to know more about the use in relation to her complaints of muscle spasms and sleep issues. And has the patient tried just baclofen or just marijuana to see which treatment is most helpful, or is it a combination of the two that helps? And then what were her symptoms like before marijuana use, and has she ever tried to stop marijuana to see if her tolerance of symptoms has changed? And is the patient able to work? And if so, what is the company's policy on marijuana use? Then I would like to ask about one of the key features of the study and overlapping feature of both marijuana and MS, and that's cognition. So sometimes the patient's family is actually better able to answer these questions, but I would ask about cognition in terms of has she noticed any memory loss or problems or difficulty recalling words or feeling lost in the middle of a task or any changes in mood, and did any of these scenarios change with marijuana use? As far as treatments go, specifically the non-pharmacological, you would try to target pain in her sleep disturbances. So the pain seems to be related to muscle spasticity, and physical therapy is actually recommended, and it does have benefits to avoid 
contracture of the muscles. And then to target the sleep issues, you can investigate more into her sleep schedule and see if there are any opportunities to counsel on sleep hygiene and then find the issues that are causing the sleep disturbances. If it's the pain, we could then, again, target that with the treatments such as physical therapy. But it'd be important to find the root cause. So let's talk about the study you analyzed in your iFormerX commentary. The study, which is entitled Coming Off Cannabis, a Cognitive and Magnetic Resonance Imaging Study in Patients with Multiple Sclerosis, was published in the journal Brain in September 2019. And we provide a link to that paper on the iFormerX website, but I suspect that most of our listeners don't subscribe to the journal brain. So can you provide us a brief summary of the study design and its major findings? So the investigators wanted to look into whether cognitive impairment improved in these patients after a 28-day washout period, and they assessed this by repeating the BRMB and on MRI studying. They compared baseline to 28 days. They also assessed anxiety, depression, and withdrawal during this period. The average age of patients was 40 years old, and the average amount used per day of cannabis was 2 grams. The baseline criteria was pretty evenly matched. Of note, the duration of disease between the two groups was different, but it was not significant. The cannabis withdrawal group's duration of disease was 5.6 years, and the cannabis continuation group was 9.6 years. At baseline, the cognitive impairment between the two groups did not differ, but at 28 days, they found that cognitive impairment significantly improved in the cannabis withdrawal group, but not in the cannabis continuation group. These improvements were seen in all of the tested cognitive domains, so that included the verbal and visual memory, the auditory and visual processing speed, and the executive functioning. Also, cognitive impairment improved compared to baseline within its own group, so within the cannabis withdrawal group. As far as withdrawal symptoms, anxiety, or depression, these were not significantly different from baseline to 28 days in either group. But of note, two patients from the cannabis withdrawal group requested appointments due to trouble sleeping, and they received prescriptions for Zopiclone. Finally, the MRI studies. So they took an MRI just looking at the brain structure, and they did an MRI while they completed the cognitive testing. The only improvement was with functional testing in the withdrawal group where their speed increased when answering questions with increased brain activation on the MRI. There are no differences in structural MRI images between the two groups. So the investigators concluded that patients with cognitive impairments can show significant cognitive improvement after a 28-day cannabis washout period. So performing research on marijuana for medical purposes is very challenging for all sorts of reasons. First and foremost, product standardization is an issue, and the THC content or potency is wildly different among the different strains. And as a natural product, there are lots of ingredients in these plants that we simply don't fully understand how each of the components contribute to its pharmacological effect. And of course, it's a Schedule One substance under federal law, and possession is still illegal in many states. So in that context, I'm wondering what you view as the strengths and weaknesses of this research report. Do you think the findings can be generalized to other patient populations who are regular cannabis users? I personally believe that until marijuana is recognized by the FDA as a drug and has standardized manufacturing processes in place, it shouldn't be utilized by the community for medicinal purposes, primarily for the reasons that you mentioned. 
Also, I think you have to consider the individual product since too much THC can actually lead to psychosis and euphoria and is really balanced out by the CBD content. I don't think there's a general consensus on the ratio, but I also think it's more difficult to determine the individual's ratio of CBD to THC when using those recreational products. That being said, this study demonstrated that patients did have improved symptoms, but the study was only 28 days in length. And we have no way to know if those improvements continued or if patients suffered long-term effects unrelated to MS from using marijuana on a regular basis. However, I do think that the trial was unique and the researchers were intentional in their design. Some of the strengths include a control group to compare results, and they utilized a variety of validated tools to assess the outcomes, but I think this study had several weaknesses. The small sample size, short duration, and minimal discussion of the actual patients enrolled in this study, their disease progression, concomitant medication use, and their history of cannabis use are all some limitations. Despite these limitations, I do think that these results may be generalizable to the general patient population using cannabis, but I also believe that more research needs to be developed prior to making claims about its medicinal implications. Many of our listeners may not be familiar with the evidence to support the use of medical cannabis. Can you give us a brief summary of the potential indications for medical marijuana? Where is the evidence pretty compelling? And where is the evidence lacking or perhaps even refute its effectiveness? So the evidence for medical marijuana use is broad, probably too broad to cover today. When you focus on MS, indications are centered around neurological benefit, including spasticity, dyskinesia, tremors, increased bladder activity, seizures, and impaired memory and cognitive function. I definitely say the research is interesting. I'm not so sure if I'd land on compelling at this point, as there's still lots of questions to be answered. Uh, From some meta-analyses, we know that it's possible patients could have reduced spasticity and pain, and maybe also decreases in bladder activity. Uh, We do not have the supporting evidence that cannabinoid products reduce tremors, involuntary movements, or seizures at this time. When it comes to cognitive impairment, the current study we were discussing adds to that discussion, but doesn't fully resolve the question of benefit versus harm. My recommendation would be to continue to individualize discussions with patients, make them aware of the evidence that we have, maybe make them aware of the potential benefits. Helping patients choose a product where the levels of THC and CBD oil can be quantified and are consistent as possible is, uh, would be an important point. Uh, but also just follow up with that patient, you know, keep a relationship going, make sure you're helping them out through the process. So let's return to our case. Recall that the medical resident wants you to convince LP to stop using cannabis. Are you as concerned about this patient's marijuana use, or do you feel it's an appropriate part of her therapeutic regimen? How do the results of this study factor into your thoughts about the risks and benefits of marijuana use? And lastly, how would you go about discussing the benefits and risk of cannabis use with this patient? What are the key issues you think the patient needs to know in order to make an informed decision? Well, it's a tough call on whether you can say that the patient could benefit or be persuaded to stop using cannabis due to her subjective benefits, but there are objective risks. You could argue that if marijuana use improves the patient's quality of life related to pain or muscle spasms or her sleep disturbances and does not interfere with her perceived cognitive function or ability to hold or maintain a job, 
It'd be difficult to justify persuading this patient to stop using based on their reported subjective improvements. Depending on when the patient was diagnosed, the expected lifespan after diagnosis of patients with relapsing remitting MS is about 25 years. The patient could have a limited amount of time to live, and to live in pain and with sleepless nights could decrease the patient's quality of life. So again, a really tough call, but it would be part of the patient decision-making process when presented with the risks and the benefits. So the risks. It'd be important to give the patient the full picture and lay all the risks out on the table. So of course, the legal implications. This may interfere with her freedom, so it could even result in jail time or her ability to drive and ability to have and maintain a job. And then there's the cognitive impairment. So this could interfere with relationships, work, speaking, or even daily tasks. Marijuana is not without side effects either. So there's the tachycardia, agitation, drowsiness, and possibility of psychosis. Then there's the concern of the smoking aspect. Although there isn't strong evidence to say that it can lead to cancer, there is evidence to say that smoking marijuana leads to inflammation of the airways, which could lead to bronchitis and pneumonia. So I think our biggest concern with this patient is the sleep disturbances. We saw in the study that when patients discontinued use of marijuana, they had worsening sleep. And we know from the patient case that she reported utilizing marijuana as a way to take the edge off to improve her sleep. So if we were to tell her to discontinue marijuana, we may see worsening sleep patterns in this patient. Well, then you got the cognitive impairment. I mean, it'd be nice to sit there and tell the patient that she may improve with the, her cognitive functioning, but you know, without baseline, you just you really can't say that in this patient. Mm-hmm. Yes. So overall, one of the big roles of a pharmacist is counseling on the good and the bad associated with medications or even drugs, but ultimately, it's to help the patient make their own informed decision. Well, Lindsay, Sean, Nicole, I want to thank all of you for joining me today to discuss the use of medical marijuana and the potential impact that chronic cannabis use can have on cognition. While I think many patients believe cannabis use is benign and there is no adverse effects beyond weight gain, I think the evidence is quite clear that cannabis can impair cognition. But the good news is that these effects seem to be at least partially reversible in adults with multiple sclerosis. Well, tell us what you think. What do you view as appropriate uses of medical cannabis? Are you concerned about the impact of regular marijuana use on cognitive function? Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. Healthcare professionals can join for free, so sign up today. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, you need to know about our partnership with the American Pharmacists Association to offer this program and others for BCACP recertification credit. So if you'd like to earn credit for this program, click on the link posted below the commentary on our website. And finally, my heartfelt thanks to all of the volunteers who make iFormerX possible. A special shout out to Stephanie Nigro at the University of Connecticut. Stephanie joined our editorial board about two years ago, and she's authored commentaries, reviewed commentaries, and recruited many new members over the years. So thank you, Stephanie, for all your many contributions. And until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. <laughs>